Jason, the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Tuesday, Jason. Those Mike Gallagher conference season around the corner. ETSU men's open up conference play against Western Carolina. It's the team they face off in the regular season finale, what seems like eons ago, about eight months, give or take. And so it's going to come full circle as ETSU will take on Western Carolina, 7 o'clock. Fans will be in attendance. We'll see how that changes things for the women. They'll play on Thursday, New Year's Eve matinee against Newberry, a tune-up game before they start their conference play against my favorite team in the league, the Chattanooga Lady Mox. That is your favorite team. I almost spit it from my mouth. I'm sorry. Did you really? Uh, Just a little. Aggressive. Wow. Just a little. All right. Um, Before we get started on what is the uh, Southern Conference, I think uh, Mike has dubbed it the Southern Conference Preview Spectacular. We'll see how this plays out. Uh, and how it goes, and we'll give you our thoughts not just on the men's side, women's side as well. We'll roll through the gamut of everything, give you all of our thoughts on that. Real quick, did you have a Merry Christmas? It was a Merry Christmas. Did you have a Merry Christmas? Uh, yes. Uh, did you chase your meal with two more subs? Well, let me tell you how I felt bad. My wife bought me a belt, and <laughs> um, apparently she did not get the memo that you buy like a size up belt, mm-hmm. and so she got me the exact size of what I wear, and I could, I do like suck in tremendously to get, like, the only notch that would work in and just looked at her and I yelled, this is not a good look for me. It's not a good look. I don't know know what she's trying to do. If that's a sign I need to lose or she didn't understand how the belts work. Or, uh, she's fashionable, so I would assume she would, but, yes, that, that's, how, that's how I went. I'm just excited for your New Year's resolutions on our next show to see if you double down on the losing 30 pounds this mm-hmm. coming year because, clearly, judging by that story, it does not happen this year. Well, the question is how much can I put on before next show to Correct. Then help. To help the nut. Let's you gotta stack the deck. Like you gotta stats. stack the deck. All right, enough about uh, my chubbiness, which I, I love talking about. Nobody else does. But let's talk about uh, what is going to be a chubby of a conference this year because it is going to be all over the place. Sandos and the sidekick. Western, I believe, at five. 
the six, seven, eight was interesting because I had Citadel and Sanford at the bottom. Mm. I had VMI at eight, and so um, I want to say I, more than likely I put Chattanooga <laughs> at seven. Just, just honestly, no, that no, 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 no particular reason there, and then Wofford six. So that that was so we weren't that that far off. I think a majority of the folks, I think. Realistically speaking, you probably thought Furman returns the most, UNCG most impactful player back. Uh, and I don't want to go because we're going to go into each individual team, right. so maybe I'll just stop right there. But Mercer I thought was the most intriguing. And then now that we've seen the non-conference, they, they have lived up to the billing but been overshadowed by the team that I don't like to talk about. So what we're going to do here today is go through each team one by one, give a little bit of background on last year, context on maybe in UNCG's case, Wes Miller and his time there, and give a deep dive. I mean, a full breakdown, as you heard in the bumper. My headphones getting blown off by the bumper is not the only thing that's going to shock and appall you on this show because there will be takes very deep into rosters. Uh, every single team for both the men and the women broken down. Segment one is men. Segment two is women. Do you have anything you want to get out there before I go into my long, incredibly, I think, uh, no, I've learned boring for you rant, but I, hopefully there's a lot of good information. No, I, that's what I was going to say. I've, I've learned sort of like Christmas Vacation, you know, where he talks about um, Cousin Eddie and the dog, it's better just to let him finish, and then uh, finish. So it's better to let you just rattle him finish, and then I'll jump in. Okay, here we go. UNCG last year, 23-9, and 13-5 and five in the league. The three seed upset by Chattanooga in the 3-6 matchup in a parody-laden Southern Conference tournament. 60 wins under Wes Miller, his first five seasons, 104 the last four seasons. By the way, seven of the top nine scorers in the league last year were seniors. One of them was not Isaiah Miller, declared for the draft, but is back, of course, after not signing an agent. He says shooting, the main thing he was told to work on. The field goal percentage is up 5%. Free throw is up 20, but he's just taking far less threes, 119 last year, but just 12 this year. Caleb Hunter, the only other double-digit scorer from last year that is back, is indeed back. He battled injury last year and has missed the last two games as well. I have not heard about his status, but concerning certainly for UNCG that he has missed the last couple of games. James Dickey's hair, of course, gone. Second in the conference in rebounding last year, third on UNCG in scoring. Kyron Galloway is gone. He was their fourth leading scorer. Of the 13 that played, though, only Galloway and Dickey from last year's team gone though they had 98 of the team's 138 blocks and combined for over 13 rebounds per game, so there's a gap there to be filled. The Langleys, Angelo Allegri, Muhammad Abdul-Salam, 6'9", 255, I mean, giant. Most notably, those four are back. Keyshawn Langley and Abdul-Salam are starting. Allegri has been in and out of the starting five as a fill-in when Isaiah Miller missed a game. Now Hunter having missed two, and Keyshawn Langley also came off the bench and won. And speaking of the bench, Kyrie Thompson, after just seven appearances last year, second on the team in scoring. UNCG 5-3 and three so far with, I think, one of the worst losses of the early season in the SoCon, that six-point loss to Coppin State. But they found the rails again. They've won four in a row. I think the big question surrounding this team this year, is there enough outside of Isaiah Miller? And that is the biggest question, and right now – it's hard to sum. It doesn't look like it. Now that doesn't mean that a few folks, machine, a few folks can't um, step up and score enough. I think they're missing, you know, sort of what James Dickey brought to the table. You know, the energy that he brought, protecting the rim. You know, you lose James Dickey, they bring in, you know, seven foot one transfer, wants to shoot threes. And Dickey was more, you know could drive the basketball go. I just found it interesting, and I brought it up, I think it was the last year's show before, the fact that Dickey sometimes would guard like 
two-man or a three-man because he was so athletic he could help disrupt what teams wanted to do. And so I think he is a huge loss into what they do. I think they thought the Langley twins were going to be better at this point. Keyshawn's been all right. And Keyshawn's fine. And, but I think they thought both of them were going to come around. I think Allegri just, you know, he has his moments, you know, where he can throw 15, 18 on the board. Against five, DGSU you know, specifically. Five, six threes, but he's not consistent enough. Miller taking, you know, about 20 shots a game or whatever the heck it's been lately, I think that is not good for UNCG. I mean, he's a, he can score, but he's not a shooter. You know, he's, he's not really the volume guy, or he's been the volume guy this year, but I feel like, you know, his game is driving, getting to the basket, you know, taking, pulling up for 15, 18-footers that I've saw him do a couple of times this year. That's really not his strength. So I don't know. You know, he tested the waters with the NBA. What, what do you think, Mike? I'll, I'll pose this question. What do you think the number one thing they said to him he had to improve on? Uh, absolutely it was shooting, and he said so himself. And he certainly has tried to become a shooter by shooting the ball a lot. And so, From inside the arc, though, that's the interesting part, the fact that the three attempts are so far down this year. It seems like he's focusing on the Rajon Rondo style of play, right? Yeah, Live exactly. inside that arc. Run the offense. Defend everybody, which he can do. He's athletic enough to do things. He can jump tremendously. So he's got all the tools there. If he can hit 15 to 22-foot jump shots, you know, he can make a living. I I think he can make a living. He just has a little bit of an unorthodox shot. But that doesn't mean anything. We've seen the Alex English. Heck, in the Southern Conference, we saw Kevin Martin go and play in the NBA successfully for many years when everyone in America looked at him and go, well, that's a broke-looking shot. But – it works for him. So you don't have to have the perfect form and shot for Miller. But I think he's trying to – and some of this too, right, it's a senior year. He's probably trying to give it absolutely everything he has to do. The other thing is if you watch some of UNCG's games, similar to watching ETSU's games, they've missed a lot of open shots. I mean, just point blank have had good looks and have not hit shots. And so if that comes around, they can be the team. Right now it looks like it's the Millers versus everybody else. Furman, 25-7 and seven last year, 15-3 and three in the league, beaten 77-68 to 68 in the 2-7 game by Wofford in the first round of the tournament. Still the last team to technically make the NCAAs out of the SoCon. Made the CIT in 2016-17, no postseason in 2018 after losing to ETSU in the SoCon semis. Five of their top six scorers are back. The only one that isn't is their top scorer, Jordan Lyons. The second year in a row, they return a ton, but not their top guy, of course, of course, Matt Rafferty, two years ago. Every player that started a game is back except Lyons. Noah Gurley was second on the team in blocks and points, third in rebounds. Clay Mounts, third leading scorer and top rebounder. Mike Bothwell scored 11 a night in just 24 minutes per game and was second on the team in steals. Alex Hunter led the team in assists. Jalen Slauson led the team in blocks and was second in rebounding. Last season, they struggled to clear the boards without Rafferty and had 40 less blocks. Slauson and Gurley trying to hold down the paint this year for the Paladins, who have fielded the same starting five every game this year. That's big, right? They've been healthy. And it's the five we named Gurley, Mounts, Bothwell, Hunter, and Slauson. Six foot nine, Garrett Hain has added some depth down low. He's made 22 of his 28 shots this season. I'm just not sure we know anything about them yet. They've got the three 91 wins and blowouts of USC Upstate, South Carolina State, and College of Charleston. Losses to Cincinnati and Alabama. The one you could look at with concern is that loss to Winthrop by 16. Mounts was scoreless. They were minus 12 in the paint, minus 25 off the bench, and turned it over 23 times. They've lost to who they're supposed to lose to, maybe with the exception of Winthrop. I think they were three-and-a-half-point favorites, lost by 16. Well, even if they lost by three or four, you'd be like, oh, okay, sure. You know, Winthrop. 16, you're kind of like, that's tough. Yeah, they're, 
there's a lot of hate in that rivalry there. And Winthrop uh, really made it stick. Yes, and I, Furman tried to pour it on Winthrop, I think, last year at home. I think Winthrop did the same thing for whatever reason. I don't know if it's school hate. I don't know if it's coach hate. You know, sometimes head coaches don't get along and want to really stick it to the other guy. I, I don't know, but there seems to be some legitimate, very uh, – what's, what's my – disdain for one another. And so – but here's Furman's problem. It is going to be Furman's problem. It's always been Furman's problem. It's why they have trouble winning three games in Asheville. Depth. Their top five guys are always their top five guys. And that's fine, but their bench play is non-existent and has never been existent. And you can go back to the Nico Medvedev days. Medvedev, sorry. Medvedev, yep. You can go to Nico's days. You can go to Richie right now, currently running the show, Bob Richie. And there's no depth. And if something happens, a la Clay Mounts fouls out with eight and a half minutes to go against Alabama, that game took a turn for the worse. Clay Mounts, unfortunately, is either in foul trouble or whatever happened and went through. He doesn't score. Again, they're in trouble. They have no depth. It's been the one thing that has struggled. It's the one thing Coach Forbes has talked about when he was here, about when we'd ask about Furman making a run. He's like, I don't think they can because they don't have enough depth. Wofford does. UNCG normally does. Certainly ETSU has. You could look at some other teams, but they usually lose in the tournament in the semis if, before they even get there because it just seems like back-to-back-to-back days with all the, the talent they had. And you can go back to the, the Croons and the Sibleys before you got to the Jordan Lions. And it's just been their problem. And so, to me, they're, they're going to go as far as their bench is going to take them. And the problem is the bench hasn't taken them very far ever. And so, um, you know, can they get a sixth guy to help? Maybe. But they never have hope from seven, eight, and nine. I mean, it's it's literally their starting five generally always averages double figures, and generally when the new starting five comes out, they still average double figures, and they just don't have this. I don't know if it's just the style, the rotation, just the way it is. They want to keep those five guys happy, but to me, Furman's problem is going to be their depth. It's going to kill them. It is incredible. Mount had twenty-one points in the sixteen minutes he played against Alabama, but like you said, he fouls out and the game totally turns. Furman was up ten at the half and ends up losing by three. If there's one encouraging thing about their losses, obviously the Winthrop one, you look and your eyes kind of pop out of your head because you know SoCon versus Big South, you're Furman, you want to take that stride. That's a game that you win, but you do lose a couple of tight games at least to, I guess you'd say super six teams because obviously Cincinnati not in the quote-unquote power five, but Cincinnati by five, Alabama by three. There's something positive to be, ta- to be taken away there, yes? No, I agree. And, and I think, you know, teams can still have a, a one-off day. Furman particularly has games where we've seen them beat teams they shouldn't by 30, and we've seen them lose by 30 to teams that they shouldn't. And so uh, ETSU's actually been on both ends of that spectrum. They've beaten Furman by that many and been beat by Furman by that many. So I, I think it's a, a depth issue. I think it's always been that for since the Bucks have rejoined the SOCON. I think it will continue to be a depth issue. That's how far they'll go. By the way, I'm going in order of the coaches' poll, I think. I think it's a coaches' poll. You want to do for me. ETSU, 30-4 last year, 16-2 in the SOCOM. We know we talk about them so much. SOCOM regular and postseason champions, 12 NCAA qualifications in their time as a program, 24-plus wins every year since Jason Shea has been in Johnson City. We bring up the stat, I think, maybe too much on my part. Top eight scorers are gone, top four rebounders, top six in assists, all gone. Only players returning that played last year, Bonnie Patterson, Charlie Weber, walk-on Jordan Coffin, Damari Monsanto, and Ladarius Brewer are the two others, but they didn't play. They were having to sit out. Eleven total newcomers, including Sorrell Smith from Maryland, 
David Sloan from Kansas State, uh, Ladarius Brewer's brother Ty from southeastern Louisiana, Silas Hideke from northern Kentucky. All in all, six transfers, five true freshmen. Jason Shea, new head coach, 4-4 four and four with a couple of non-D1 wins and close losses to Austin P and UAB. For me, the question on ETSU, as we've discussed, and I'm only really bringing it up in this much depth, because if someone's tuning in for the first time around the Southern Conference that wants to be more involved with the league and pay attention to everyone that is not their team, um, then they're hearing this for the first time. But to me, the question is, can they gel in time? Because the talent is there. The chemistry may not be unless they're able to put it together quickly. I think scoring, and it shows because the trust factor, knowing where people are going to be running the offense, I, I think it's amazing what, those guys have been able to do defensively, but playing as a team, playing as one compared to the team that pretty much was all intact from the previous year. And you you can see this when you get two years with guys together in a core or more, as Furman is, for an example, then you can put some of this together. And for ETSU, they've always been able to piecemeal and get stronger as the season goes. Well, this is the time they generally start to get stronger. Will they get stronger? They can't get stronger until the ball goes in the hole. Got to figure out how to finish better from two and around the, the charge circle, the two foot, four foot area. Got to be able to score from there. They got to be able to hit more free throws. Certainly have to find more people that can shoot from the outside. And, and I think the, they're not taking advantage of some of their athleticism. I think they could get to the rim more. I think they could do more. Again, I think it's just a bunch of guys that are figuring out how to play with one another. If this team stays intact, and the way college basketball is, I've no to believe everyone stays because it just doesn't happen anymore. But if most of this team stays, I'll be curious to see that leap next year. Now, nobody cares about next year because we're in the middle of this year. So the question is, can they get things together offensively? So far, they've been able to do it. Defensively, they've been, it's crazy. You know, they're still allowing 62 points per contest so far. The defense is probably going to keep them in most games. Now, there are some teams that can put 80 on the board with ease, Furman being Mercer's another one that you're going to talk about probably next that can throw a bunch on the board. You know, I think Wofford's another team that can score. Then you get into teams that want to get up and down and Sanford and Citadel and such like that that kind of have the fake 90. Yes, they score 90, but my goodness, they're giving up 92. So there'll be some things there. But I think defensively, Tissue will be able to stay in it. The problem is if they give up 70-75, will they be able to score enough? And so I think that's the shocking part for Coach Shea and his squad is no continuity still on offense. And when there is a little bit of continuity, they're not being able to score. And I don't want to underscore this factor, the crowd. I think ETSU is always, you know, and biased or not, I've been going to these arenas for a long time. You know, when Mercer gets rocking and rolling, they can put a crowd in there. Wofford's another one. Furman's another one. Those four schools are going to feel it. Greensboro started to build something. And you're starting to see more people. how will it affect with North Carolina being one of the strictest states for not letting people come to games and stuff. It would be interesting to see. But that was one thing that really helped a couple of those upper echelon teams were crowd. And I think ETSU was right up there with teams that were enjoying the crowds and helping it become an environment to help win. Now they're having to manufacture it. Mercer projected fourth in the coaches' poll this year, 17-15 and 15 last year, 11-7 and seven in the league. I think surprised some people last year, projected eighth. In the conference, finished fourth. We're beaten by five seed Western Carolina by 14 in the first round of the tournament. Good first year under Greg Gary. 
looks like they may be another surprise this year, taking that big leap to the top of the conference. Of course, Gordy Dimitri Ivich is gone. He was really a role player his first season in Macon, but blew up and led the team in scoring assistance deals last year. Ethan Stair, a familiar name, was second to Dimitri Ivich in pretty much every category except rebounding, where he led the team. He's gone. But to offset those losses, Ross Cummings, this is huge to get him back, led the team in scoring during the 2018-19 season. Injury sidelined him for all but six games last year. He's leading the team in scoring again this year, 15 per game. Uncle Greg has Jeff Gary again this year, who got a late waiver coming over from UNCW and started 20 of 22 games he appeared in last season. He's leading the team in minutes and is second in assists and three-point shooting this year. Your guy, your favorite name in the league, one of your favorite players in the league that is not an ETSU Buccaneer, Magic Bender is back, second on the team in rebounds and led the team in blocks last season. Outside of uh, Gary and Stare, uh, their top five, or I should say Dimitri Ivich and Stare, their top five scorers are back, and they added NJCAA All-American six foot six guard Leon Ayers from Henry Ford College, put up 22 and nine rebounds last year. He's been their top sub this season, scoring 12 a game. Also, and you've talked about him a couple times on the show already this year, South Carolina transfer Felipe Haas, who played in every game for the Gamecocks in his two seasons there before sitting out last year after his transfer. He's averaging 12 and 10 for the Bears as a starter. I know you're also a fan of Neftali Alvarez, who had to sit last year after coming over from Fairfield. He's second on the team in scoring, leading the squad in assists and steals. They are plus 8 per game on the glass, plus 7% from 3 on the season over their opponents, plus 7% from the field, almost 20 assists on 30 field goals per game. What do you like most about this team? Because right now there is a lot to like. The balance. It's unbelievable when you watch them play. Inside game is there. They got, you know, you're looking at Magic Bender's 40 of 60, 67%. He's also now, he's not a great free throw shooter, but he's shooting 60% from the line. He's got 17 blocks. He's protecting the rim. He's doing what a, you know, near seven footer should be doing. They have three guys with 30 or sister more. They've got three guys with 15 or more made threes. By the way, all those guys are shooting over 40% from three. And then uh, just anytime they need a bucket, there's just, so many weapons, you know, it's it's interesting to see how quick that Greg Gary was able to get in and sort of change some things last year with having his hands tied a little bit with Ross Cummings being injured, you know, I was like 10 games in, 7 games in, whatever it was, being out for the year, uh, never got into conference play. You mentioned the two transfers that set out, then he added a Juco transfer. The balance of this team is impressive, um, and they sh- – know exactly what to do with the basketball. They find the hot hand. If it's Bender inside, they feed the big fella. You know, Haas is a guy that can play inside or outside. Alvarez is the point that really moves it around. You know, and then Cummings does what he does. You give him a clean look, he's going to be able to knock it down. Jeff Gary knows what he is. He's a three-point shooter. He knocks down his shot. So the balanced attack that they have with five guys averaging 12 to 15 points, I mean, truly spreading with, but the assist number that you read, the way that they can rebound, and then just the pure, what ETSU can't do right now, put the ball in the hole. I mean, it doesn't matter where it's at right now. They're clinical on offense. They score. If I had to pick right this second going into league play, I think they would be my favorite just because they have so much right now more firepower, and they have depth. Furman would be right there next, I think, um, even just because I think those two teams could outscore UNCG right now. But 
I think because of Mercer's depth, I think I would slightly put them ahead. So there's a lot to like about Greg Gary and what he's built at Mercer very quickly. 84 points a game for Mercer. You talked about the shooters. Cummings is 24 of 53 from outside, 45%. Then Gary, 15 of 37 for 40%. But then Haas, the big man, 16 of 38 for 42%. So this team is going to put up some numbers this year. There's no question. Wofford projected fifth in the preseason coaches poll. 19 and 16, 8 and 10 in the SoCon last year. Lost their last seven regular season games before winning three postseason games. Or I should say two postseason games. Oh, no, it was three because they were the seventh seed, so they had to win the 7-10 too. Then, of course, lost to ETSU in the SoCon title game. First losing season in the SoCon regular season since the 2012-13 campaign team actually plays Mercer tonight, first game of the Southern Conference basketball slate, ESPNU. That's why that game was moved. It was originally Wednesday. Now the season tips off one day earlier for the SoCon ESPNU tonight. Their top two scores and leading rebounder are gone. Of course, Nathan Hoover, whose field goal and three-point numbers dipped double digits as the number one guy last year. I'm not sure he necessarily lived up to what they needed him to do. Uh, the other guy, Chavez Goodwin, top scorer who transferred to USC. So Hoover, number one, Goodwin, number two, both gone. Storm Murphy is back. His percentage has only dipped slightly with an increased role last year, and he's looked really good so far this year as their top dog for the Terriers, averaging almost 18 points per game. Messiah Jones was all freshman team last year. He's shooting 61% this season from the field. Trey Hollowell and Ryan Larson, who started 29 of the 35 games last year, that being Larson, also back. Hollowell is second on the team in scoring. Larson missed the first three games of the season, but he's back. B.J. Mack, the exact same size as Cam Jackson, 6'8", 250, transfers in from South Florida, definitely has helped to replace Chavez Goodwin, but he did miss the Texas A&M game. will be interesting to see if he plays tonight. 7'1", David Applegren came over from Laramie County Community College. Not seen as much time, but an inside body that is huge, obviously, if they need it. And while Wofford was missing Mack against Texas A&M, Max Klezman, a freshman from up in the Northwoods, near where I was from, yeah, Nina, Wisconsin, goes for 14 in his collegiate debut. So a couple of close losses to South Florida and Richmond this year. Do you think this Wofford team is more the one we saw in the SoCon tournament last year or more the one we saw in the regular season? Their roster's still a bit in flux. I would say right now the regular season, Wofford. First of all, Storm Murphy continues to his maturation progress and what type of player he's become, honestly, never saw it coming. And it is unbelievable how he manages the game and can take over the game, but do it quietly where you're not real sure. And then, then you check a stat sheet and go, holy cow, Storm Murphy killed us. The one I thought would take a bigger jump up, and he has somewhat, is Messiah Jones. Now, against CTSU last year, he had 24 and 28 points in a couple of games. And I don't remember when he did the championship game, but the two regular season games, he just went bonkers. And then it was amazing. He was a matchup nightmare for ETSU. So I was kind of curious how he would continue to go. I think Goodwin leaving was a killer. I think if Goodwin came back, they would have been ranked much higher. They would have had things going. Now, that's not to say that, you know, B.J. Mack and some of these guys aren't starting to come together. But I really feel like they got a lot of work to do. I, I, I think Wofford is a middle of the – just like I think, honestly, TSU is right now, a middle-of-the-pack SOCON team. I think Wofford is a middle-of-the-pack SOCON team that could get better. I think, you know, a guy I thought that would really, really grow as he uh, came into his own was Ryan Larson, and he just he just hasn't. Now, he does all the things, the dirty work, the dive after the loose balls, the take the charges, the do things. I really thought scoring-wise – you know, at this point in his career, he would be able, but, you know, it's just not him, and that's fine. It's not a knock on Ryan Larson. He plays hard. He, he provide, Again, he does a lot of energy things that you 
really wouldn't know to keep his team up and going, and we need that. But I think this team is going to go as far as Storm Murphy can go, and in a league that guards can dominate, that's a good thing, you know. And so I think you just need to see more out of the, a few guys. I think Trey Hollowell, you know, is, is shooting the ball nicely at 35% from three. I think if he can continue to score, I think they can get some of the big guys worked in. Wofford could be a problem. The one thing about Wofford, they're tough. And you get a, you know, you get in the Sun Conference Tournament, we've talked about this before, but the whistles, you know, you get higher caliber referees. You know, they call the game looser. It's a little more physical. Well, who does that favor? A team like Wofford. And so I think they'll make a run in the tournament again. I think regular season, I don't know if they'll be the seventh seed, you know, but I could see a fifth, sixth seed falling in uh, Wofford as long as they continue to do what they're supposed to do. Speaking of middle of the pack teams, that's where Western Carolina ended up last year, 19-12 and 12 in the regular season, 10-8 and 8 in the conference, won their first round game over Mercer, but were dominated by ETSU, so their season ended after outperforming expectations and putting up their first above 500 season since the 2013-14 campaign. Of course, the headliner, Mason Faulkner. Probably could have gone plenty of places. I know there are people that were rumbling across the league that he may be one like Chavez Goodwin that would go to greener pastures, hop up to a power five. He didn't. Instead decided to come back for his redshirt senior season. Averaged 17, 6, and 6 last year. Sharpshooter Anno Steger and big man in the middle Carlos Dotson both gone. But Matt Halverson, he can really shoot it. Their fourth leading scorer last year. He's back and on the verge of a career year. Cameron Gibson's season was shortened by injury. He's back and will likely be a starter when he is from the injury, but I don't believe he's played that this year. He is not. That, was a, that injury was against CTSU in the early minutes and was ugly. I think in that February 29th game, is that right, or was that the game before? It was the first game. So uh, it was the first game. The January, January 18th. Yeah, it was early in the season, and it was a couple minutes in. That was a game where Jeremy Rodriguez and Carlos Dotson didn't play, and then Gibson went. But the previous year, his freshman year, he had dominated the Bucks. He had two 20-point affairs. And he scored nine per game last year. So timetable-wise, if that's a torn ACL, and we don't – I don't know. I don't have official uh, word from any doctors or anything. If it's multiple ligaments, that could keep him out the whole year. If it's an ACL, you'd think he'd probably be on the verge of return looking at that 9- to 12-month timetable. But as of right now, has not played. Travion McRae, Tyler Harris, Marcus Thomas, Xavier Cork all back. McRae, Cork, and Harris are starting with Faulkner and Halverson. Of the 11 that appeared in at least 15 games, only Stager, Dodson, and the seldom-used Adam Sled are gone. Ed Halverson's brother Brad is now there, too. But outside of lineage, the bigger addition appears to be Presbyterian transfer Corey Hightower, who averaged 13 points and six rebounds per game. Honorable mention all big south last year. Got the blanket waiver and made his debut against College of Charleston and scored 17 points to go with seven rebounds. That's someone I would expect to play tomorrow night, and judging by what he's been able to do at Presbyterian and in his first game with Western, someone that we would need to watch for. With Halverson having his best year, you've got Sincere McMahon and Tyler Harris, good shooters outside as well, plus the combo of Faulkner, Hightower, Xavier Cork, and Travion McRae all averaging double figures. Do you think this offense could carry this team despite them not showing much interest on the defensive side? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Getting Hightower, and I've been – I talked a little bit with Brooke Savage before he left to go to Wake Forest. He has some ties to Presbyterian and had talked about this kid and was heard maybe he's trying to move on to greener pastures, get out of Clinton, South Carolina, and he he did. He moves a a little further west and a little further up the mountain to Cullowee, but – I think that's a huge addition. You get Gibson back, and, man, you join a long list of some firepower. And, you know, 
and they do it a, a bunch of different ways. You know, Faulkner is a triple-double waiting to happen, and he's more of the driver. He can shoot some threes, okay, but he's more of the driver, gets the rim, stress the defense. Last year, he really did a nice job to dump the ball off to Dotson. This year, it looks like Cork's been the recipient of most of those. Um, you know, Travion McCray is a guy that they put on the ball sometimes to put Faulkner off the ball. You know, that's a guy that can score double digits. You know, Halverson's having his best shooting of his career. Um, you've already mentioned that, but 43% from the outside. And he's taking 83 threes, so it's, it's not like An insane amount, by that, the that, way. That's not a false 40%. <laughs> you know, like his teammate Tyler Harris, who's the big fella, 6'9", uh, likes to stand out and shoot threes as well. But he's taking 24 threes. And he's shooting Halverson's good. averaging nine a game taken. That's Antoine Walker territory. Yeah, uh, you know, and he, he was 7 of 9 in one game this year from out there. So he's certainly been able to fill it up. The one thing I like about Western's team so far this year is they've played four overtime games, and they are 4-0 and in overtime. And I'm sure they would rather like the – and a lot of those they've had big leads in and lost the leads. But still, besides the Tennessee Tech, they had the lead big, and they did the opposite Tennessee Tech. They were down pretty good and was able to – come back and tie the game, and then hit an amazing Faulkner, an amazing game-winning shot in overtime, uh, and that, it's, it would have been to a, a winless Tennessee Tech team at the time. They haven't beat some of the names of the names, but what they've really done is games that would have been peer or slightly favored. They have gutted wins out, and what that does for teams moving forward, I think, is tremendous. So let me hop in and ask you this, then. Are you more encouraged, if you're Western Carolina, that you've won those four overtime games or more disappointed that you've blown the leads against the teams that you have because those four overtime wins are against UNCA, Tennessee Tech, North Carolina, T College, and Charleston, not exactly named schools at the mid-major level? I, I, I would assume any player just looks at the bottom line of the wins. Now, coaches may be a little disappointed, but Western's not had tremendous success. They had a run. They had the big three a few years ago. Um, but I think what they've been able to do confidence-wise, get those wins, they're going to walk in with a lot of swagger um, tomorrow night in Freedom Hall. We'll preview that game, talk about that a little bit. Uh, we won't go into you know, nauseating details because the show's going to be long as it is. But we'll touch on it. We'll go. And certainly a lot of those West Carolina players have bad taste in their mouth of how Freedom Hall ended last year. So they'll be ready to go this year. But getting those wins, as opposed to where ATSU's not been able to get those wins, I think that that's tremendous for the psyche of what Western Carolina is going to do coming in there. But they've got a lot of firepower and can score a lot. So will they be able to continue to score 85 to win games because they're giving up 78 points? Again, some of these, because they've played four overtimes, there are some inflated numbers in, the, in those contests and some non-D1s. You know, the most legitimate team they probably squared off against was VCU. And it probably happened that most teams in the league would have played VCU. So that's no knock on what Western Carolina did there. The win at College of Charleston, and I know College of Charleston is down, and the SoCon has been feasting on their former uh, rival. But I thought that was a, a huge win. You know, they should have beat Asheville at Asheville, and they did. They should have beat Tennessee Tech at home. They should have beat North Carolina. Should have beat Troy, and they lost. Should have beat Troy, and they lost. They did beat Wilmington, which has been down. You know, probably looking at the, the last three road games, you know, they should have beat North Carolina A&T and took it overtime, but they did it. VCU was what it was, and then College of Charleston, a team that's probably had their number over all these years, to be able to pick up that win, I think, was big. Speaking of the show being long, mm-hmm. just going to go and jump in here. Do we just... 
just put up on his basketball until the actual conference season is a little yes. closer. Okay, let's do that because we're already yeah. at like 35 minutes and you're yeah. talking about that and you want to talk about Western Carolina yeah. ETSU a little bit, so we're going to go yeah. ahead and do that. Okay, yeah. well, let's just keep it going because this is your favorite team and we have to put up Here we go. When Here we go. Chattanooga you're going to be shocked. 20 and 13. Oh, I think you're actually going to be. So if I'm going to be shocked, that means that you love Chattanooga and boy, are there going to be some people out there that are staring daggers at their computer screens or maybe pass out from shock. 20 and 13 last year were the box 10 and 8 in the league as a 60 defeated number three UNCG by 10 before losing to Wofford 72 to 70 in the SoCon semis. That was a great game. Most wins since the 2015-16 year for them last season when they went 29 and 6 made the NCAA tournament lost by 25 to Indiana as the 14 seed. Of course, Power 5 transfer, one of our favorite people to make fun of on the show last year, Matt Ryan. He is gone. Ramon Vila decided to go pro. He had one more year of eligibility. Didn't rethink it like Jerome Rodriguez did to return to school. He's gone. Another redshirt senior came back. Must have hated it. Entered the transfer portal. David Jean Baptiste, who was the leading scorer for this team so far this year. Stefan Kenich had the NCAA waiver to play last year after coming over from a really odd situation at Cleveland State. I'm not sure he did everything they thought he could last season, but it was a very difficult situation, obviously, coming over from Cleveland State, hopping right in in the middle of the year. He's scoring 13 per game this year, much more, I think, what they were expecting. Maurice Commander transferred back home to Illinois, Chicago. Rod Johnson, along with Vila, Ryan, and Gene Baptiste were gone. That's all of their starters from last year, all five of their starters, and still they haven't lost. The blanket waiver allows forward Casey Hankton, who transferred in after spending his first two years as a sub at St. Louis. The ability to play grad transfer Josh Ianni comes over from South Alabama. He's starting at 6'7", 209. Malachi Smith has been the big one. In from Wright State, sat last year post-transfer. He leads them in scoring this season. 17 per game and also 11 boards per contest. That's 11 boards a night at six foot four. Redshirt junior A.J. Uh, e. Caldwell and redshirt freshman Jamal Walker are the shooting tandem, 30 of 61 from outside combined this year. They're knocking down 77% of their free throws, while opponents are doing that at just 56%. Limiting teams to 27% from outside, but all their D1 games have been won by 10 or less. Very simple. Do you buy it? I'll tell you, again, confidence is a, is a weird thing, my man. And I think get just like Western is riding high going into league play, I think Chattanooga is riding in note plus played four games without David Jean Baptiste so some of it you're sitting there going okay well Baptiste was averaging 18 you could see it the odd transfer and not you know I, I, have, I don't even want to speculate what in the world and let, I mean the only thing I can figure out would maybe great I don't maybe it's going to be weird and eligible when they have tried to beat it I don't know I have no idea because I, it, unless it was a weird blow up with Coach Lamont Pears I cannot imagine why David Jean Baptiste, you know, spent his four plus years at that point there to go. But the most impressive player on that roster and watching a couple of their games, including the Tennessee State come from behind win, is Malachi Smith. He is playing on a, a level, player of the year type level, and shows it. I mean, he is a confident guy, can go to the rim, he scores on all three levels, he doesn't shoot a lot of threes. They needed a three in that game, and he knocked down a three, plays defense, rebounds, shoots free throws, not afraid to pass the ball, leads the team in steals. I mean, doing a little bit of everything. I think the, the truth is, out of all the guys besides Gene Baptiste, who was with the team, I think if Ramon Vila was back with this team and how they started, and now maybe the team wouldn't be as balanced and good with him, and who knows? You never really know how that dynamic changes. But if Villa gives you exactly what he did in the previous 
previous year, I would put them as top three right now. That's my hot Chattanooga take, but he's not there. Right. I still think them and Western Carolina, middle of the pack until they get in the meat of the season and can win some of the league games as it gets going. That being said, I think they, they go into those two teams, maybe Mercer, those three go into league play feeling the best about themselves over everybody else. Furman's got some question marks, especially with the loss you know, we've talked about with Winthrop. UNCG and ETSU have to look in the mirror and figure out how in the world they're going to score the ball. I think, you know, how are they going to be able to score? Wofford's kind of like, you know, hey, you know, we've, we've not really beat anybody, but we beat who we should be. You know, what's our team looking like? To me, I think those two teams, those three teams, I'm sorry, Mercer and Chattanooga and Western right now are riding high see if the confidence of all of that can carry them through. Because if they both pick up a couple wins early, especially if Chad opens up the year with a win at Furman, or I'm sorry, win at home against Furman, and your you know Western comes to ETSU and beats them, and then Mercer handles Wofford at home, which seems to be the likeliest of the scenarios, then I think those teams are going to be awfully tough the rest of the year. Sanford was projected eighth in the league, ten and twenty-three, four and fourteen last year. Lost eleven in a row in the middle of the conference season, and were smacked by VMI in the eight-nine play-in game, spelling the end of your favorite head coach in the Southern Conference, Scott Paget. His tenure in Birmingham done. Fired after a thirty-four and seventy-four conference record over six years as the head coach of the Bulldogs. Criminal that Josh Sharkey never played a meaningful game at Sanford. The league's leading scorer gone. Add that to Robert Allen leaving for Ole Miss their second-leading scorer and rebounder, and the graduation of Brandon Austin. Their top three scorers departed, leaving only Jalen Dupree, the redshirt senior post, back amongst double-digit scorers last year, who just made his season debut, matter of fact, against Bellahaven before break. Defense was their big problem last year. Gave up 85 a game during conference play, leaving some to ask if the team had quit on Padgett. New head coach Bucky Millen, or McMillan, I should say. I'm not sure he cares much about defense. Formerly of Mountain Brook High School, they made the state finals 7 of his last eight years there. They're scoring 88 per game, are the Bulldogs giving up 78 so far. Of guys that played in the conference last year, during conference play, Dupree, Logan Dye, Brian Smith is all I was able to find. Smith only playing two minutes in all of league play. He's not playing much this year either. Dye, 14 minutes per game. They do get redshirt senior Myron Gordon back after he missed all of last season with an injury. He is leading the team in scoring. Dupree is third. North Idaho College transfer Christian Guess sitting between those two, averaging 15 points and 10 rebounds a game. Freshman A.J. Staten McRae and redshirt sophomore Stanley Henderson, who missed his first two college seasons with injuries, are getting lots of starts. Florida Atlantic transfer Richardson Mitre is playing the point and starting. Ten players have started a game, and 13 players have played in five or more games and are averaging six or more minutes a game. Marcellus Vale has started six games and is playing six minutes per game. I am extremely confused by the personnel decisions from game to game. I'm also very confused by the results. Losses to Alabama A&M and Troy, but a win over Belmont and a close loss to Georgia. What do you make of Buckyball? Buckyball is going to be 94 feet of heat, if I could steal from Nolan Richardson. It is going to be press you from you get off the bus to when you get your water break to coming out to halftime to the end of the game. Matter of fact, they might not even let you get to the press conference post game. They're going to press and 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 press. So, you get playing like that, and the problem is he probably doesn't have everybody in that he needs in. And to play that style, you have to at least have 10, if not 11, 12 guys that are willing to come out and play their role and play X number of minutes. 
that means they're going to, it's sort of like, what's it, the best description I can give it is like Sanford football. And, and maybe that's what they like. That Sanford leads the league in almost the nation every year in yards and in scoring and it's flash and it's there. And they never win anything. Or they share a championship and don't really do anything in the playoffs. Or, I mean, I, I think it's a lot like what they're seeing at one of your favorite coaches, Mike Leach in Mississippi State, right? Of course. They're going to go in there and they're going to run. They're going to find. They're going to go. And they're going to beat people. And they're going to win games. They're going to win some games big. And then they're not going to score and get blanked by somebody. You look at these results, it's the same thing. They were able to push Belmont, get them out of the game. They get 96 on the board. They're going to win. Then – Alabama A&M? A&M? Yikes. Uh, it's about a – wow. So, that, I mean, you got a head-scratcher. Then they had Georgia on the ropes. And in fairness, a lot of teams that have SEC schools on the ropes last few minutes, so we'll hear there that go your way. And you Especially the SoCon this year, it seems like. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know – and but then Troy. There's a couple Yikes. Of and, and Troy's not – again. You know, and then they squeak one with Kennesaw State, uh, who's not particularly great. But they win. And then, of course, they do set a ball. record with 133. <laughs> but that, that's what it's about. Sanford Athletics is 100% about how in the world can we make noise by leading everything in these successful offensive categories. And it's fun. Now, I will say this. For fans, I've said this before. Would you rather see 62-58 and it's a struggle for ETSU to win or would you rather see a 95-91 loss, but you're entertained because of the basketball value? And so I think that's sort of what Buckyball is doing. Now, they've got some guys that can certainly play. I think Jalen Dupree's not. Myron Gordon I've always been impressed with. They've added Christian Guest. He's put up some big numbers. I, I don't really know. I've seen Logan die before. I've seen Tristan Chambers. but Very few guys recognizable. Uh, Gordon and Dupree are the only ones that stand out. Yeah, I mean, we saw Chambers. Saw, uh, I mean, yeah, those are. I mean, Stand Logan died played sparingly. So, and and Preston Parks, I thought, you know, it's the third. I don't know that there's another player I've ever been a part of that would have played ETSU at three different schools because he started at Citadel, was freshman year, transferred to UT Martin. You did that game last year, a long time on the road there, out in the park. And then you're going to play him in Sanford. I don't know that I've ever seen that in my entire life. And he can score, and he's getting 20 minutes action, but he's only averaging five points a game. So I, so I'm not confusing. It's it's very odd, but Buckyball, that's what it's going to be. I mean, they're averaging 87 a game, but they threw a 133 on the board. I, I don't I don't know what to make. I I think they're going to have five or six wins in the league, and a couple are going to be shockers. I mean, they're they're going to be some teams, and you're going to be like, holy crap. Just because it's confusing. Exactly, that's and. All you need is a few turnovers, a few shots, and especially if they get a few whistles that go their way, absolutely. That could be big for Sanford and how they win. They're also going to have games where they either get blown out or games that they lose, and you're thinking, wow, Sanford just beat these two teams. They've turned the corner, and then they'll lose five in a row. That's what I think of Sanford. I don't know if that's what you're looking for. No, I'm just counting up the number of players that have played in the box score. Uh, They've got 17 on the roster, and they've got 18 in the box score. So that, I think, unintentionally is showing me exactly what kind of team it's going to be this year. It's confusing. If you're on the roster, you're going to play some, and that's not all a product of the 91 that they played, the Greenvilles and the Bellhavens. You're going to get time. I I just look at Marcellus Vale, and he's averaging – 
uh, 0.7 points a game, but he started all six games and played six minutes a game. Like that to me is the definition of what I'm seeing from Buckyball. The results are going to be weird. The scheduling is going to be strange. The way you pour it on against non D ones is going to make some people scratch their heads. And then you're going to be right in the game against power fives. And then you're going to lose some games against mid majors and low majors that will leave people wondering if the right hire was made. Buckyball at its finest. VMI projected number nine in the league, nine and 24 last year, three and 15 in the SOCON. Only league wins were the Citadel twice and Western Carolina late in the year, 74 to 71. Went on to lose to ETSU in the SOCON quarters after beating Sanford in the 8-9 game. They have not won more than 11 games overall since Citadel head coach Duggar Bauckham went 22 and 13 with the team in 2013-14. Had a really good freshman duo last year in Travis Evie and Camden Kerfman, but only Kerfman is back. Evie transferred to Rice in the offseason. Leading rebounder and third leading scorer Garrett Gilkison graduated. Thought Greg Parham would likely take out a few more minutes after being out there for 24 a game last year and scoring 9.4 a contest. He has been 29 minutes per game and 15 points per game this season. Miles Lewis and Jake Stevens return, both averaging double figures this year. So in Kerfman, Parham, Lewis, and Stevens, that's four of their top six scorers back. Sean Conway is the other starter with those four after averaging 5.7 per game last year. He's up around nine points a contest this season. It's always a question of what VMI brings in because they don't do the transfer thing. Correct. No, very, very, very rarely few people do want to come do that military life. So either they don't do it or people don't take them up on the offer. It's always a question of who is coming in, how can they get guys on the roster so this team can improve and pull themselves out of the basement in the SOCON. The class this year headlined by Tanner Manns and Trey Bonham, the two subs you're guaranteed to see. But at this point, the team is 44-111 and under Dan Earl entering the year. Five wins this season, three over 91s. And the D1 wins are over Hampton and Longwood. For VMI, this is the one team in the league. Sanford is at least interesting to me because Buckyball, right? And I want to make fun of that the whole year. Uh, VMI, I think the one major question I have with the Keydets is, does Dan Earl have to get results this year to save his job? I'm going to say no. But I don't really know what the Keydets are expecting. So I, I, I say no. I, I think Dan Earl's got a nice team. They were a tough out last year. I think they'll be a tougher out for teams this year. I think they've added um, sort of a addition by subtraction. Uh, I find it interesting that Evie went to Rice. It seems like every SoCon guy that transfers ends up at Rice somehow. Hmm. But I think that's their third in four years. That's why I was just kind of – when you said that, I, I stuck on that for a minute. Uh, but I, I really think um, the way they play and the fact they're averaging 82, and, yes, they played some, some non-D1s, and, and uh, what, they played four of them or three of them? Uh, three. Three. So, and they've got a – But Longwood and Hampton, I mean. Right. Well, and I'll say this. You know, Hampton – Hampton's not necessarily a, an easy out uh, as far as it goes. And in Gardner-Webb, the you know, 11-point loss on the road, Gardner-Webb, I, I thought that would tell us a lot about them. They gave Virginia Tech fits because those teams want to be in a rock fight more than they want to get up and down the floor anyways. So, but, uh, you know, he lost his alma mater at Penn State. It's interesting. I don't really know 100% what to make out of him other than they – he seems to have settled in on what type of offense, that hybrid Princeton offense – you know, a, a lot of you know what we saw actually for ETSU, what you know, fans paid attention to the Lee University game. It's very similar 
to exactly what Lee did. It gave ETSU fits on some of the miscommunication backdoor. And so as long as VMI's got rid of the guys that wanted to me first shoot and score 40, 50 points a game, because that seemed to be what VMI did there for a while, was just score and score and score and score. So I think VMI's going to be a tough out. I think they're still going to be bottom third of the league. But I think they will be a team that when a lot of teams win by five, six, seven, and the fan base of those teams are mad because they only beat VMI by five, six, or seven, but the coaches and players will just kind of wipe their brow, sweat, and go, yeah, let's just move on. <laughs> like, let's just get this win. Let's go. But I think Dan Earl's done a nice job. I really don't know what VMI is looking for. They tend to keep their coaches longer. Citadel's the one that tends to get rid of their coaches, and I want to look at Citadel and go, who do you think you are? Which I'm assuming is our next topic. It is our next topic, but I do want to touch on VMI. The only reason I ask the question is simply because you look at what their coaches have been able to do over the years, and, and Bart Belair's. No, 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 no. Are you going back to the Elite Eight run? I'm, go, I'm, going, I'm looking okay. at the history, and, and right. the yeah. numbers do not get worse than Dan Earl and the amount of games that he has won. You know, Duggar Bauckham had that year, decided to go to Citadel, right? So he had a year or two along the way that you're like, okay, well, this team, and if you have one good year at a VMI, that's going to buy you how many years? You know, five, six, seven more years, right? Absolutely. Dan Earl hasn't had that year, and we are now, what, six years in? I think this will be year number six. So it seems like the clock, even for a school that doesn't necessarily hold their basketball program to the same standard that one that wants to go to the NCAA tournament would, right, like a UNCG affirmative and ETSU, the standard isn't the same, but you still have to have a standard. And it seems like Dan Earl is towing the line very carefully of uh, what that standard is and not falling below it. Okay, Citadel has already won more games than they did all of last year, 6-24 and 24 last season, and – Speaking of stats that I beat like a dead horse, 0-18 in the Southern Conference. First winless SoCon season for any team since Davidson went 0-10 in the 1959-60 season. Duggar Bauckham, 51-106, and 16-74 in the SoCon in his time there. College Hoops Insider once called him one of the best-kept secrets in the college coaching country. Now, after five unsuccessful seasons, my question was going to be when I put together this prep about two months ago, is he also on the hot seat? Now I wonder if he's going to be up for coach of the year in the Southern Conference because they are 7-0 and undefeated after their best start in more than 40 years. Kalen Harris, who led the team in scoring and rebounding last year, graduated. But Caden Rice, Fletcher Rabie, and Hayden Brown, the tremendous trio. And Brown was injured, remember, six games into the year last season. That really hurt them, missed the rest of the year. All three of those men, Rice, Abie, Brown, back those being three of their four double-digit scores last season, and a trio averaging, sit down for this, Jay Sandoz, because you like to stand during the entire show, 53 points per night right now. Points per game down 11 last year from the year previous. They were at 75 per, per game. That was the first time below 80 in the Duggar Bauckham era. It's up to 93 this season. They have a grad transfer they brought in from Division II Mansfield College, Tyler Moff, who has scored in double digits each game he has played this year. Missed a couple of weeks in the middle of the season, but is back healthy middle of the non-conference season, he's back healthy. And they also added three freshmen, the big one being Brent Davis, who has hit eight of his 11 threes. He should shoot it more from out there. The question really appeared to be to me, could Fletcher be take the strides from his all-freshman season, and could Hayden Brown be that undersized post-presence they needed, along with Caden Rice as their top athlete and shooter? And if so, what could it get them? So far, the answer has been a B has taken the strides. Brown is back with a vengeance. But always the qualifier. With the asterisk, 
They've played four 91s, and their other wins are North Carolina A&T, Longwood, and Presbyterian. Are they a true product of their talent, or are they a product of their schedule? I, well, A, I think the scheduling has helped out quite a bit. Um, and, in fairness, I'm sure Longwood, North Carolina, A&T, and uh, Presbyterian probably thought, hey, we're scheduling a win. We need a win. And they didn't get it. So, good for Citadel, good for the league. But I think, I think where I'm – Dan Earl's not in trouble. Again, Citadel tends to think a little more highly of the basketball program and, and the program Best that, 40 years. Come that on has now. never had success. So the question is, will this come crashing down, right? That, that you know, they, they were supposed to open against UNCG. If you have not heard, that game has been postponed uh, due to some COVID issues with Citadel. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see on that topic. And they get to stay undefeated longer. I mean, are, do you think that's the game plan that Malcolm's going to not play a game rest of the year, do the only undefeated at <laughs> Citadel. No, I'm just kidding. He's not going to do that. But I, I think the one guy that has always impressed me until I saw him play ETSU every year is Hayden Brown. He just he's either hurt in the game, he doesn't show up, it just is probably but you know he's still in a game, what do you want from him? I mean, he had thirty and twenty against Columbia International. Now, I don't care who you play, you get thirty and twenty is impressive in any stage against anybody at any level. And Citadel is the one team that can get transfers because if you're a grad transfer, you can live off off post. You just take online classes. You don't have to do the whole military thing. So Citadel can get uh, post-grad transfers. They've done it before, and it makes sense that that's, that's how they can do it. But, I, you know, Caden Rice, I think, is an impressive point guard that gives E-Tissue a little fits. Fletcher Abib, I think E-Tissue's done a good job of keeping him in check. You know, against the rest of the league, Fletcher Beef can get loose. And I think shooting just like Halverson at 45% with uh, not as many attempts as Halverson. But, uh, you know, Caden Rice has got 78 three-point attempts. He's shooting 42%. So the one-two punch from those guys from the outside, Hayden Brown around the rim, rebounding, uh, being able to score. Uh, and he can shoot some threes as well. But they're all generally great free-throw shooters or have been in the past. And their style of offense is going to allow points to be false points, just like I think Buckyball's false points. Yes, I think Citadel will be able to knock off a team or two here or there, but I don't feel like they're going to be able to crawl out of the, the bottom three. I think VMI, Citadel, Stanford are still going to be there. I think all three of those teams aren't as easy outs as they have been in the past, and I'm still not sure about Citadel. I still think, and them and Sanford, I think Citadel's probably the easiest out of the three, if I were to guess, but I, I'm just going to go I think Citadel right now, I think, is at the bottom of the league, even though they're 7-0, and that sounds funny. And then I think Sanford is ninth, and I think VMI. And honestly, honestly, I could see Sanford being eighth for the simple reason, again, the style that they play, that they could sneak out a few more wins than Sanford. I'm not going to change anything about my preseason poll. I like that Mercer I have third. So I think UNCG and Furman are probably the class of the league, just going off of history, success. You know, it's not going to be new to them now. Mercer's got a good thing going, right? No question. Uh, Chattanooga being six, I like that right now. I think they're probably eight or nine wins. Uh, and Citadel being eight, I think that they are going to make a pretty significant jump for them at least. The big question is, what do you see the win total at the top and what do you see the win total at the bottom for the numbers one in ten teams? Because that will give people an idea of how you see the league going this year. If it's 
12 to 14 wins, boy, there's a lot of parity there, right? No one's going to run away with it like has tended to happen the last couple of years. If you think it's 15 or 16, maybe there's the one team that jumps up and surprises a lot of people out there that see the SoCon being more bunched up this season. I think, again, and I, people tweeted me to stop bringing up the fact that road teams are winning, but I'm going to bring it up again. Road teams are winning, and road teams are going to continue to win. And I don't care if ETSU is 10% in the stands. It's not the same as 6,000 people, 6,600. It's the same everywhere. Road teams are going to win. There are going to be more road teams win this year, and I think that's going to jumble things up. I think 13-5 and five is probably going to win the league. If 18 games are played by everybody, and obviously it's still a big if, but if it is, I think 13-5 and five will be the number. It wouldn't shock me if 12-6. and six. I do think there's probably going to be a couple teams tied in the standings, and we'll come down to a tiebreaker. I, mean, I feel like at 13-5, and 12-6, and six, you're probably not going to have one team at that number. I think if you could get to that 14-4, and four, then I think you probably got to stand alone. But at 13 wins, 12 wins, I think there's going to be multiple teams tied. Even you know, if it's 12, it could be three teams tied. See how the tiebreaker goes, but I think 13 will be the most that anybody has it. Before we quick take a quick break and come back and talk briefly about Western Carolina UTSU, I just want to say I am very saddened that UNCG Citadel is not being played tonight because you were going to find out so much about Citadel and Chattanooga playing the two projected league winners in UNCG and Furman. I mean, nothing tests your medal on day one of the season like that, and now we have to wait, obviously, on Citadel. Still going to see with Furman and Chattanooga, I think, very, and it's a 1 o'clock game, so, so that will be um, a new wrench thrown in there, the, the old weekday um, matinee. So I think that you're going to find out a lot about Chad. Furman, I mean, if they lose that game, you know, I think that it's all bets are off, you know, when it comes to where you expect Chad and Furman and the whole league to shake out because those are two that are going to influence it a lot. But UNCG and Citadel was excited for it. I think Western Carolina and UTSU, as we'll talk about, beautiful battle like right in the middle of the conference if I'm to project it right now. And Wofford and Mercer, I think, is going to be better than people think. I know you are thinking that Mercer is probably going to run away with it. I think that's going to be a tighter game than a lot are giving it credit for. BMI Sanford does nothing for me, obviously. <laughs> it does <laughs> nothing for you? I think, it, I think it can tell a lot, too. I think it, because there's going to be nine, there's going to be ten. Fantastic. Well, I, yeah, well, that's fair. Okay. <laughs> I can't argue that. All right, we'll take a break. We'll uh, preview the game tomorrow night. Uh, ETSU Western Carolina. For this time, I'm seeing the sidekick on Bucket Air Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on. Embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. short segment here, and then uh, just to wrap up today's show, we'll be back with you uh, New Year's, and we'll talk about some things. 2021, New Year's resolutions, I'm so excited. It's one of my favorite shows of the year. That's one of your favorite shows. Uh, if you went in with a greater confidence in your New Year's resolutions, I think that it would be one of your favorite shows, too, because you have the optimism that you're going to succeed. you got to get into the mental side of New Year's resolutions with you, Jason. Yeah, choose to succeed. <laughs> right. Okay. Speak it into existence, baby. All right. So, uh, West Carolina, obviously, 
7 o'clock, 6.30 pregame show here on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Don't forget, there is a women's game on New Year's Eve. ETSU women will take on Newberry. 2 o'clock will be the tip time there at 1.30 pregame show with Mike Gallagher. This game, West Carolina, I think if you had to pick a couple storylines for each, I think for Western Carolina, I think is they're trying to prove that they're for real, that they've got some wins, they've got some confidence, they can score, and they won't pay back the way things ended last year, I think. I think there's a bad taste in their mouth. I think you can tell some of their, not just their players, but their fans, everyone is fired up with the way that ended. I think the flip side, if you had to pick a couple quick things for ETSU is, can they figure out a way to score, number one? And then number two, how do they sort of regroup and play? There's going to be 10% crowd. Are they going to be able to use the 10% crowd and energy to try to do what they've done to teams in the past at home and home court advantage to will themselves to a win? But I think it's simply Western Carolina, I think, has proven they can hit shots. I think ETSU – if they can hold them under 70, I think ETSU wins. I don't think they'll hold them under 70. So I can ETSU get to 75, 76, 77 points. And if they do so, then I think ETSU has a shot to win. But to me, this is almost a very simplistic way of looking at it. Is can ETSU shoot? And how mad is Western Carolina about last year and want to prove that they're for real this year? Because they still have people doubting them about their start this year. I'm one of those people. To be honest, I think it's a very talented roster with Faulkner, Hightower, and Halverson at the top. And, again, that's assuming Corey Hightower is who we believe him to be. And he was all of that at Presbyterian, and now he comes over and starts brightly with 17-7 and seven in his first game as a catamount after the blanket waiver gives him eligibility. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I think a low-scoring game is going to favor the Bucks, right? If Western can get the ball dropping from Tyler Harris and Sincere McMahon and Halverson and it's one after another being flown in from outside, then it is big, big trouble for ETSU. Um, I think Western could be three, four wins right now. You, know, you look at the overtime results, uh, the fact that they have gotten the Ws that they have and they're 7-2, and two, you're absolutely right when you said last segment that the players are going to look at the wins. Seven wins for Western Carolina for a lot of seasons was fantastic if we're talking about a non-conference year. Um, and, heck, even if you're approaching you know, the conference year with seven seasons or including the conference year in that, that, that was a lot of wins for Western Carolina. They are not that same team. They are, I believe, that they think this, and I think Corey Hightower, judging by the fact that he came to Western Carolina, thinks this as well, that they are a team on the rise. They're led by someone that obviously knows the game of basketball, has been around it his entire life, comes from a long lineage of people that have had great success at the college basketball level. So if it's low scoring, the Bucks, it's their game to lose. But that is a big if because there are a lot of offensive weapons for the Catamounts. There's no reason for us to think that the Bucks cannot stop them, considering what they've done to almost every opponent that they've been across from this year. But league play is different, and there is that history there. And while Carlos Dotson's gone – and there's a couple of others that aren't back on this team. The majority of people that you're going to see, you're going to recognize, and they're going to remember what happened last season. So in terms of a simple breakdown, ETSU needs a big offensive day from Ladarius Brewer. I'll keep hammering that home. Damari Monsanto, he is undoubtedly, in my mind, becoming that second scorer and may even end up as the number one scorer on this team if you take out those first three games, of course, where he was just shaking the rust off after not having as much time as his teammates in the preseason. Um, 
need a big game from him. Silas Adeke, Coach Shea, after the Alabama game, called him the anchor of the ETSU defense. And if you don't have him in, as you saw, Coach Shea said the, the freshman, the youth, got exposed. You need him in there. You need him out of foul trouble. You need to have his presence in the paint to be able to stabilize anything ETSU may be lacking defensively. So I'm 100% with you. It's a memory that I'm sure Western would love to forget. It won't be the same coming in here and getting revenge on a 600-person arena, considering last year was 6,000 packed to the gills, and it was the most incredible, I think, regular season victory maybe in ETSU history. But there will be a measure of revenge there that is on the Catamounts' minds, and it's doubled by the fact that their season was ended by ETSU. So there are tons of storylines you could look at. I think the simple ones, as you said, um, got to keep it low scoring if you're ETSU. Um, I think that with mine, you have to have Damari and Ladarius lead you. And what is this break done for either side? Right? I mean, it's always odd coming out of that Christmas holiday and the break of not being around the gym quite as much. Um, what are you going to bring in your first game after that holiday period? It's kind of why, why I like ETSU women's basketball and what they do with scheduling that ease you back in with the Division Two ETSU doesn't have that chance because they have league play starting right away. But this is going to be a good game. I, I really think it's going to be a good game, and it may be a first team to 70 wins. I think it's one of the games where sometimes, I don't know if you've ever, Mike, you play golf, and you play golf with a buddy, and you get to, like, the 18th hole, and your buddy says something, and you look over at him, and you realize you're in a death match you didn't know you were in because he was in a death match trying to beat you, or, he, or you always beat him, and you're, I feel like this is one of those games where the intensity for Western Carolina early may shock some of the ETSU players because they either weren't around or didn't play or don't understand it. I think this game means a lot to Western Carolina. I think because they've struggled against ETSU, I think one win in 75 years or whatever it's been, and none of the players on the roster now has tasted victory against the Bucks. I think they've clamored, especially Matt Howerson, grew up Kingsport, you know, his brother was a walk-on TSU, you know, he's played I senior think, now. I think seven games. Is it? So yes, he's played seven games, no wins. Mm-hmm. This will be game number eight. I think he has a lot riding on the line. I think it's going to be one of those situations where ETSU is going to realize they're in a death match they didn't know they were in because a lot of the guys just weren't here. They don't know. And so that's the one thing about athletics now. You know, you don't get at least on ETSU side. There's not a lot. There are a few players that are like, okay, well, we know UNCG is a big game. Well, we know Farms a big game. But you don't know all the other intricacies of other rivalries within the league that happen. And so I think that's going to be the start of the game for men's basketball for ETSU. How do they handle that? Because I think Western's going to come out as fired up as anybody. Make the Bucks score. Get the score. And how do they recover after that? I mean, if you come out and get hit in the mouth. Do you pack it in and say, what is going on, or do you show some resilience? The defense has, at the very least, shown that resilience, I think, so far this year. But defense is only going to be able to take it so far. This is not a Syracuse defense. This is not a Virginia defense. You know, The defense is going to have its limitations at some point as well, so the offense will have to step up eventually. And when you get into Southern Conference play, officiate. A lot of fouls. I can't wait good. to hear you hammer on that in Southern Conference. A tradition unlike any other. Jay Sando crushing Southern Conference officials. Why don't you talk about Rob Festo more before we start talking to this? All right. That's going to do it for our extended men's preview show. We will preview the women as we get closer to their opening game against Chattanooga. Don't forget, more Sando's sidekick. Other market here. Sports Network. Cowboy up. Go play ball.